night on Wednesday, and uh, we're still studying the fruit of the Spirit. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to pick up there tonight. Our subject is kindness. Kindness. And so we pick up in verse 16 of chapter 5 of Galatians. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires." If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So tonight we take up the subject of kindness. And as we continue to look at these qualities to be present in one, it, when one is producing the fruit of the Spirit in his or her life, we, we come to this, this subject of kindness. Now the Greek word for kindness is krestosis. Uh, krestosis is a word that means sympathetic kindness. Sympathetic kindness or, weak, or sweetness of temper. I really like that. Sweetness of temper, which puts others at their ease. Sweetness of temper that puts other people at ease, and it shrinks from giving pain. Have you ever been around folks that they just, the mere presence of them, you want to shrink away in pain? Um, that's because there's something that's probably happened that doesn't have a lot to do with sweetness or kindness or gentleness or easiness. Well, this sympathetic kindness, um, or, or as the English would say, kindliness, comes from this sweet temper. And so it therefore describes that quality that makes people feel at ease with you. Um, they know you will be kind and gentle to them. They're at ease with you. It is a beautiful word for the expression of a beautiful grace. So I want you to get that concept, kindness, is a picture of grace. Kindness is a picture of grace. And to help us understand this better, uh, what does it mean to have kindness and to, to, to see what kindness is demonstrated? We're going to look at it from the standpoint of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not often that you think of the Old Testament as having a lot to do with kindness. You know, that's God. You know, in the New Testament, it's Jesus. You know, on that kind of stuff. And what you have is, is kindness is very evident in the Old Testament. So, number one, beginning with kindness in the Old Testament. In the Septuagint, it is used more of God than anyone else. For example, consider these two verses where the word translated good. It says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. That's Psalm 106, verse 1. That word uh, good is actually kindness. Um, in Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is kind. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all His works. Psalm 145, verse 9. The reference in these verses is not to His moral goodness. It's not to His moral goodness. Remember when I've told you before that when the Bible uses words, it, we have to make sure if we're going to study the Bible correctly that we understand not only the word's definition but how it's used. And I, I like to use this as an illustration of cars. We had a good friend of our family come over the other night for uh, Taco Monday, and um, she came to, to see us, and she is a car salesperson down in Louisville for a huge Chevrolet dealership. And um, she showed us a mid-engine Corvette, which, true it, my son thinks that, you know, he should at least have one in every color in the driveway. Starting with my own, because, you know, I'm getting to the age of needing a Corvette, but um, I'm, need, I'm getting to the age that I need to be paid 
to buy one, you know, and uh, I've got to retire one of these days. And, um, and so the comment was made, wow, that car is hot. But we were just looking at it on an iPhone. We weren't touching it. It didn't feel hot. It looked hot. It didn't look like it was hot like a, like a hot, uh, you know, tortilla out of the fryer that Kelly was making. It, it wasn't hot like that. It's a hot car. But the definition is the same when I go out and say, or we're in the house saying, wow, it's really hot in the house. Let's turn the AC on. Same word, two different senses. Okay, so you have these definitions here and you could be going, oh, well, but that doesn't say kindness. That says tender mercies or that says good. Yeah, but you got to remember this is a translation. And the other thing is we've got to look at is how is it used in its sense? That's, that's the key. That separates the men from the mice on biblical interpretation. And so this doesn't speak to moral goodness, but rather to His kindness expressed. Listen, kindness is always expressed in mercy. What is mercy? Receiving what you don't deserve. Right? You know, what you, what you, no, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Excuse me. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy is getting, uh, is not getting what you do deserve. You know, to go to court and to plead guilty, you'll get mercy. To plead innocence, you'll get a trial. Uh, it's a very common thing that when people do plea bargains before a court, if they will plead out their guilt, they will get a lower sentence. We had a man here in Gainesville oh, about last summer that went to court and pled guilty. He was told, do not plead guilt. Do not plead your innocent. Go and plead guilty. He went and pled innocent. He had a trial and was sentenced to 99 years. And the crime that he did, he should have been sentenced to the ultimate penalty. But he said he was innocent and a jury of his peers convicted him and put him away for 99 years. But what he did, he should have been sent to, uh, sent, sent up the river for the last trip to walk the Green Mile. Um, it, um, it is a kindness of God that moves the psalmist's heart to which, you know, and which should move us to worship the Lord. For example, Psalm 100 says, for the Lord is good. I mean, is He not? He is good. The Lord is good. In fact, His mercy endures forever. Psalm 100 repeats that over and over, specifically 104 through 5. So the writers of the Old Testament saw God's kindness also expressed. They saw it expressed. I'm going to read these passages. I actually printed them out for the sake of time. Um, I want to show you four ways that the Old Testament writers saw the kindness of God expressed. The first one is in nature. They saw it in nature. Psalm 65, 9-13 says, You visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. The rivers of God, the river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless it with growth. You crown the year with your goodness and your path, your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy and they also sing. That's, that's Psalm 65, 9-13. So they express God's kindness in nature, but also in the events of history. In the events of history. In Psalm 145, for example, it says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. That's Psalm 145, 1 through 7. I mean, it gives me chill bumps thinking about it because some of you do that even now. We just know. We, well, I guess all of you do. We just, we just know that, that we're not worshiping God in vain. He is a good God. He's always good. 
And then, so he, he's expressed in nature in the Old Testament and the events of history. But how about in the instruction of His Word? The instruction of His Word. Psalm 119. I'm going to read all the verses right now to you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Psalm 119, verses 65 through 68. It says, You have dealt well with Your servant, O Lord, according to Your Word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe Your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep Your Word. You are good and do good. Teach me Your statutes. And then if you go back to Psalm 25, verse 8, it says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He teaches sinners in the way. I remember when I shared with you a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning how that the Lord uses all of that to draw us to Himself. He has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, and uh, salvation can never be stopped. I mean, he, what He starts, He finishes. And, and in the midst of our sinning, as I shared with you in that email this week from, from Pastor Thomas Watson, though our grace may, you know, abate, it will never be abolished. Um, you know, it just it will never go away. It will never go away because why? He caused us to believe. It was His redemptive act that He caused us, as it says in 1 Peter, He caused us to be born again, born again, born again. We won't burn again because we've been born again. And then He who calls you is faithful, He will do it. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Isn't that a beautiful truth? And so God causes the upright and He teaches sinners in the way. He doesn't wait till you get out of the way and He teaches you. In the way He teaches you. And we learn that it's through His mercy that He draws us closer to Himself. And so we see this in His instruction of the Word and in a special way to certain people. And I have four of those. And I'm just going to give you the verses to uh, look at later. He, he shows His kindness to those who are afflicted that trust in Him. And that's Nahum 1.7. Those Have any of you ever been afflicted because you trust in the Lord? Yeah. You have. You've been afflicted because you trust in the Lord. Go look up Nahum 1.7. That, that's a word for you. To those who are poor, yet follow Him. That's Psalm 68 verse 10. You might not ever be money poor, but you may... All of us have been poor in spirit, haven't we? Brought low. Well, go look at Psalm 68.10 and be refreshed. To all those who hope and trust in Him. Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34 is one of the greatest psalms of all the psalms. Psalm 34, verse 8. Our hope is in Him. Our trust is in Him. As it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make your pastor. It does not matter what happens around us. That is the truth to live by. That's, that's I think, where Dr. Stanley is so right is so right where he says, obey God and leave the consequences to Him. He was on this afternoon about 2 o'clock. He just did a little two-minute thing on his Facebook page at InTouch, and he said, are any of you worried about what's going on today in our nation? And in the, in the, in the good old Charles Stanley way, he just talked about the peace that passes understanding. Here's this 90, 88-year-old preacher that, that's been divorced that's been harangued. The night that he was called as pastor to that church, the chief deacon came up and cold-cocked him in the pulpit. The choir walked out right after they voted him in, the whole choir, back in the 1970s. And here he is now. He's been that pastor of that church for 50 years, and he's still preaching. He still wears his wedding band. Isn't that amazing? Because no matter what anyone says, God has already decreed. And what God decrees cannot be undone. Amen? Yeah? Yeah. And so then Psalm 31, 19 talks about to those who fear Him. Those who fear Him. So He speaks of kindness in nature, in the events of history, in the instruction of His Word, and in a special way to certain people. And you know what? I think we can all fit in this one. Those afflicted that yet trust Him. Those who are poor yet they follow Him. Those who hope and trust in Him and all those who fear Him. Okay? So, from the kindness of God revealed in the Old Testament, let's consider now how it is revealed in the New Testament. How it is revealed in the New Testament. So, number two, kindness in the New Testament. So, let's read about this. Um, 
oddly enough. Once again, we read of the kindness of God in nature in the New Testament, even to ungrateful and evil men. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, our Lord said, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, any of your any and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. So let me give you an illustration of what just happened uh, to me just a few moments ago when I had to go to the grocery store and buy some M&Ms to adjust my blood sugar. I ran into somebody that, that um, I is ne has never stepped foot in our church, but is a friend of our family at one time, especially Truett and I, and uh, uh, I ran into this fellow that I had helped some time ago with an issue. And like most cases that you older folks know this to be well, whenever you get in the middle of something, you're going to be the one that's going to get burned. And boy, did I get burned. Um, this family wound up serving me with a, a, lawyer, a cease and desist letter. And, uh, and uh, it was all... It was all just crazy stuff because it involved children and reporting possibly to CPS, which I could do, and I didn't. And uh, so there was a conversation many, many months ago on the phone that was a very heated conversation. It was not my best performance, but I can just put you, tell you this, that relationship ended that night because uh, I was the one that had spent all the time and I was the one getting stabbed in the back. And so, you know, those of you joining us by TV, you, you don't know me like the journey people do. They, they know me as a work in progress. And uh, what's me Irish temper? I didn't have enough lucky charms that day. And uh, um, so the other day, about a month ago, I was sitting at my favorite breakfast place here and that man and his wife walked in and yelled out when they saw me, would you please seat me somewhere else? And that was embarrassing to say the least, but it just didn't bother me for some strange reason. Well tonight with my M&Ms and my Kool-Aid and all the stuff I was doing to bring my blood sugar back up, there he was standing in line with me. And it was the most amazing thing because he honored me as a pastor and as his friend. And he told me of an impending move to, and he asked me about my number one son and my number one daughter and my number one wife. And we talked and this was what came out of my mouth. I said, listen, I got a big old 16 foot trailer. I'd be more than happy for my son and I to come over there and I can find some other guys and we'll sure help you move if you'd like and you would have thought the man was going to pass out. I'm going to show you in just a minute that didn't come from me. That's how the end of this lesson, because I'm going to show you that kindness comes from the Lord. But it was such a proof of, of how this works. And there was no sword. There was no anger. There was no hostility. It was absolutely, totally wonderful. That's what God does. God does this, and He says, love your enemies, do... And I wasn't His enemy. I'm not... He's not my enemy, but I was very much His. But not anymore. Hoping for another... And then, and then the last word was, God bless you, Pastor. I, I mean, I thought, I, I receive it. I, I, amen. I need a blessing today. Okay? So do that. In nature, even ungrateful and evil men, God causes kindness to be shown. So therefore, here's what I, the application of that. We need to show kindness too. We need to show kindness too. Okay? Um, another place to look at, by the way, is you can cross-reference Matthew 5.45 in the Sermon on the Mount. In giving of His Son, in whom we have salvation, Titus 3, 4-5, talks about, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not for works of righteousness which you have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. I want you to remember that. 
It's not because of anything you've done, anything you've prayed, any sacraments you've done. It's because of his, according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. And having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the way we're to ask and act in giving His Son in whom we have salvation. We should treat people with kindness, not because of the righteousness or the unrighteousness that's in them, but because of the mercy that's been shown to us. Right? So earlier this week at my favorite restaurant where I eat breakfast at, I was sitting there and I watched this couple come in. And I, the, apparently they're regulars. I don't know who they are. I've never seen them before in my life. But they came in and, and you could see the chip on the guy's shoulder. I mean, you could physically see it. And, and, I, was, and I, was, uh, I was hoping and wishing that I had my sidearm that day. I mean, that's how I felt. I mean, it was just a weird feeling you get. And we have a lady that has been to this church, was waiting on them, and they could not have been any uglier, ruder, unkind to her than the devil himself. Wound up having the boss come out there. They got a whole new table full of food and made the receptionist cry who wasn't even there when they walked in the door. And it, it upset me terribly. It upset me terribly because I watched, and I'm a watcher of people. And, and to watch them tear up my friends and reduce the lady at the front to tears. Well, I knew that, I knew that probably the restaurant was going to have to give this one up, comped, and, and our, our friend wouldn't get waited on. And I get a tip, and I just said, bring their ticket to me. Because I do believe if you show kindness, in some cases, that kindness will be paid forward. And so I paid for their... <laughs> cost more than what my friends and I ate breakfast for. And he got two of them. And, uh, and I left, and I said, don't you tell them that, that I paid for this until I leave the building, and then you tell them that I did. The white guy over there that tells you anything paid for your meal. And you tell him because he said, apparently you're having a very bad day. And I hope they come in there one day and they see me. But I'm going to tell you something. You, if you treat people the way they be deserved, then you deserve nothing less than that. Right? And poor old Jean who was working... She, you know, those waiters, you know how much they make? They make $2.13 and how much ever you decide to tip them. And if you ain't a tither, then you're probably a tipper. And if you don't, and if you tip to church, then you're probably very bad to servants in the restaurant. And uh, they deserve it. You know, they, how, how many people do you know get paid to bring you what you want, to wait on you hand and foot, and to take whatever you throw at them, and they have to stand there and take it? I would have to think more than $2.13. So sign me up for dishwasher because those dishes aren't going to talk back. Right? Yeah, you'll be on your feet all the day. Yeah, but you won't be carrying a tray of food to a bunch of ingrates. And so my point is to say this. People don't deserve mercy. If mercy was deserved, it wouldn't be called mercy. And show kindness to people. You're more like Christ when you show kindness than when you're not. Amen? That's a fruit of the Spirit. And it says, even to the age to come, in Ephesians 2, 7, that in the age to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we want to see that the Scripture is replete of this teaching on kindness. And since God is kind, therefore His children should be kind. As it says, kindness is a part of the Christian garment we put on. Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. You know, put on kindness, humility, tender mercies, meekness, and long-suffering. Remember what meekness is. Meekness is that concept of taking a wild stallion with all of its strength and power and teaching it to drink water at your command. But you never ever take away its strength or its power. That's, that was the first Greek word I learned. 
uh, why I became a person that studied the Greek is because that word meekness we think of as a little dainty thing, as a little handkerchief or, you know, silk gloves or something. No, it's so meek and proper. No, meek is strength that has been bridled. And so that's what we're to be. You know, it's like I can wring this person's neck right now, but I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be humble. And uh, praise the Lord that he, he who begins that work will be faithful to complete it. And, all, and always, you know, if you need a vindication, let the Lord vindicate you, because He will, because He can always do it the best. Kindness is also characterized as our treatment of one another, Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. It says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Can you imagine what it would be like if we knew that Jesus Christ was talking to His Father about the things only He knows about us that are not positive, and He was doing that all the time. And Jesus was talking to God saying, yeah, our Irish pastor down there, he just, oh, do we have a lightning bolt? Did you hear what he thought the other day? Did you see what he saw? Did you see his self-anger, his virtue signaling to all this? What would we do if we knew that God was listening to Jesus criticize us? We wouldn't follow him. Right? Why would we? We could just get married to him. Right? We, we, we wouldn't need to follow Him. We love Him because He first loved us, as the Scripture says. And that's where I want to go deeper. That's where I want to go deeper. This is the rest of the story. So that's the sermon, but this is the rest of the story because I want to show you in this text where it says, this is a little bit more study of the Word. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And here we find ourselves at kindness. I want to show you how they're interrelated. So you can just write down, going deeper. As I told you, this word is a, a Greek word that relates to the tender concern for other people. Kindness relates to the tender concern of other people. It has nothing to do with weakness or lack of conviction. Okay? Kindness has nothing to do with weakness or lack of conviction. We need to understand that. Some of us come out of faith traditions, denominations that think strength is being able to tell the truth unabated. And, you know, the Bible tells us to tell truth with love. And, I mean, you can tell the truth without love and you'll, you'll, you'll destroy a person. Well, the truth hurts. Yeah. It, it, it can actually wound a person. Well, it'll set them free, yeah, with a limp. You know, they'll, they'll be broken. And so it has nothing to do with a weakness or a lack of conviction, but a genuine desire of a believer. Now listen to this. This is going to be used against me, by the way, later tonight, I want you to know. But to treat, to, to treat others gently, just as the Lord treats us. It's to treat people gently. Paul reminded the Thessalonians that even though he was an apostle, he proved to be gentle among them as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. That's 1 Thessalonians 2, 6-7. through There, other than the love of God in Jesus Christ, there is no love like the love of a mother. There just isn't. Now, I'm not saying all moms got it, but most do. And he's, he uses this wonderful picture of a nursing mother tenderly caring for her own. She is its sustenance. It's, I mean, she's everything for the child, the nurturer. I can, we, we have in our counseling events and all of that that Kelly and I are involved in, one of the things we can find out about someone when we work with them, we can find out pretty clearly pretty soon if their mother ever held them. If the mama didn't hold the child, um, they have problems. They are maybe not problems; they just have challenges. They just they just have they just have some challenges that that by God's grace can be worked through, but they just don't uh, they don't uh, understand. Uh, if any of you ever saw the movie The Help, which is extremely funny, but that, uh, that is not an endorsement of the movie. 
but I, but it is a fact of history that it it people were like that. You had the women of of Jackson, Mississippi, and probably many other places, where the hired help raised the children. People in my own family were raised by the help, never held, raised by the help, and uh, and you can see the challenges of it. Um, Jesus' kindness is the believer's example. So write that down. Jesus' kindness is the believer's example. Matthew 19, 13-14. He says, When some children were brought to Him so that He might lay His hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them, saying, Let the children alone. Jesus said, Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to Me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. On another occasion in Matthew 11, He says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest in yourselves. All of you all look up there at that, that thing up there. That man that made that yoke up there is the man that made that that big beautiful piece of art here that First Baptist Post gave me when I left. It, Mr. Johnson, he, he's gone to be with the Lord. And he, he, he got an oxen's yoke and he carved that into it and that is his very first one he made. And he gave it to me when I was pastor at First Baptist. And uh, that's foam. But that's probably, the, of, of any art piece I have, that's probably my favorite piece. My yoke, my kids will fight over it. My yoke is easy. Isn't that neat? That comes right here from Matthew 11. The Lord, where does the Lord want you to go? He wants you to come to Him. He doesn't want you to go to the bottle. He doesn't want you to go to the fortune teller. He doesn't want you to really go to the counselor. He wants you to go to Him. Come to Him. All you who are weary. Many are weary today. Many are weary of well-doing. I was listening to radio a moment ago. A man who's voted all his life, he said, I'll never vote again. It doesn't do any good. It's like, oh, don't be weary and well-doing. We know you're upset today. You're, you won't feel that way perhaps tomorrow. I know you're upset. You don't think it counts, but it does count. And it matters before God how you voted. It does matter before God. And, and don't, don't give up your sacred right because you didn't get a result you wanted last night. And, and all the men that gave their lives and women that gave their lives so that you could have it, don't, don't give it up. But that's just becoming weary and well-doing. Somebody said something this morning. We were on speakerphone listening to it. It literally just sucked the air out of the room. And it's like, don't be weary in well-doing. Just keep going. Keep going. He who called you is faithful and He will do it. That is, that's a test. That's not just the preacher. That's to the, to the elect of God. He caused you to believe. He's called you to it. He will complete it. Amen? And so just as their Lord is kind, His servants are commanded not to be quarrelsome, but to be kind. That's 2 Timothy 2.24. We're not called to quarrel. We're called to be kind. We'll let Fox News and CNN from 7 o'clock to 11 at night, they can do all that. But we don't have to do that. We just be kind to one another. I was visiting with a, a friend today who is on the polar opposite side of my political spectrum. And uh, I asked him this question. I said, how many of your friends do you have that are of your same political persuasion? He said, not many. And I said, how many of them can talk about it the way you and I talk about it? He said, not a one of them. And I said, why is that? He said, because they take it personally. And I said, oh, this is no reason to take it personally. I mean, we're going to have a hot dog over this. And we've already agreed that I still think I'm going to, I still think he's going to have to buy me the hot dog. But I may have to buy him the hot dog. But the reality is, over this thing, I said, you know what the best part of it is? We're going to be together having a hot dog. Because to be together is what it's all that, That's what it matters. Because our friendship is much more powerful than this. And it's not that we don't go after each other's throat, do we? <laughs> go after each other's throat on this stuff. But the friendship's more important. Because we have made, and we're two Irishmen. And so we just said, we're not going to be quarrelsome to each other. We're going to be kind. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you a little trick you can do. You, and you can tell this. If you, if you have somebody in your life that is yanking your chain, somebody that just has always got something, something to say to you that, I mean, you, you see them coming and you want to go away. But you can't. Let me just tell you a little trick that I'm still learning but works. And if this works for you, let me know. 
But there comes a point where you have to tell that person enough's enough. Okay, I am who I am. You're who you are. I'm not going to be you and you're not going to be me. But here's what you say. You want to tell them that, but you can't. You say, as long as you come to me as a friend, you can say anything you want. As long as you come to me as my friend, you can say anything you want. But if you come to me in any other way, you just don't need to come because I don't have anything to hear what you say. That is not being quarrelsome. That's avoiding the quarrel. And at the same time, it's just telling the truth because you know when someone speaks to you and they're out of control, it doesn't make any sense anyway. And then when you get upset, then what happens? Then it turns into he said, she said, and you're back in sixth grade. Right? And who wants to go back to sixth grade? I was on Facebook the other day, and there was this girl that I, it was the first girl I ever had a crush on in sixth grade. And uh, I, I don't, I guess because I have friends, she was from Andrews, they, she moved away. But it was, she had friends, and I, so we had mutual friends. So she pulled up on my Facebook page. She does not know this. There's no way anybody would know, because nobody from high school is watching me anyway. And, uh, and I, her picture came up. I thought, whoo, boy, did God deliver me. <laughs> Look what I got. I was like, age has not, never mind. For those of you joining us by television, this is a live broadcast amongst a local people. God bless you. And if, madam, you're watching, well, you never knew because you didn't read my love letters. <sighs> this is not sixth grade. And boy, that was a sixth grade thing I just said. And just as He does with all other manifestations of His divine fruit, this is what I want you to get. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 6. This is, the, this is the extra portion right here. This is the deeper meat. This is the prime rib. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me show you something. You talk, it talks here about the marks of the ministry. And he says, We then as workers together with Him also plead with you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In an acceptable time I heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything. Boy, I wish, I wish that were true. It was for Paul. And our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers to God in much patience, in tribulation, in need, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleepiness, in fastings. Carolyn, I think this passage of Scripture might be for you. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by what? What does it say? Kindness. Uh-oh. By kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. Notice, mark of the ministry is of kindness. So here Paul models the essential virtue of kindness which describes, here's another definition for you, goodness in action. Okay? Watch this. No matter how the people treated him, Paul responded by doing useful deeds for them. Now I'm going to show you that's not natural. He expressed his credo when he exhorted the Galatians. Write this down, Galatians 6.10. And I would put it right there. I, I, in fact, what I would do is circle kindness here in 2 Corinthians 6, 6 and write out there Galatians 6.10. That's, that's what I would recommend. Listen to what he says. Are you ready? Here it says, Let us do good to all Democrats and Republicans communists and socialists. Now he says, let us do good to all people. Say all. all. Now this is not a hyperbole. This is not, I love mom, baseball, and apple pie. This is not a hyperbole. Or, Rick, this is not a hyperbole. It's not a hyperbole. <laughs> let us do good to all people, and especially those that are of the household of faith. 
Where do you see the people of the household of faith getting under the skin of other people? The people in the household of faith. None of you are exempted from that. And I wish I could be exempt from it. But he says, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay? So watch this. Watch this. I'm going to have to send you an email with this next part because you probably can't write it down. I want to show you that this kind of kindness that works comes from the Holy Spirit because this is a fruit of the Spirit. And remember, the fruit is a collective noun. Remember it talked about the works of the flesh? The works. You can have adultery standing alone. You can have envy standing alone. You can have drunkenness standing alone and revelries and all of those other things. Idleness, idolatry, all of that. The fruit of the Spirit, it's one. It's either all of it or it's none of it. And so kindness here says it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us for endurance. So just listen to me. And I will send this email to you. And Carolyn, I'll send it to you too. Paul walked in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. He walked in the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit in Acts 13.9. He accessed the Father through the Spirit in Ephesians 2.18. Was called to and gifted for the ministry by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He ministered in the power of the Spirit in Romans 15. He followed the Spirit's leading in Acts 16. He was taught by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2. He prayed in the Spirit in Ephesians 6.18. He worshiped in the Spirit in Philippians 3.3. He did not grieve the Spirit in Ephesians 4.30 or quench the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. What happened? The Spirit produced in Him this, genuine love. It produced in him genuine love from Romans 12, 9, which makes this classification without hypocrisy. Let me show you. This is just kind of how I'm feeling this right now, and I think it would be biblically correct. To practice genuine love would never say, Genevieve, you know I love you, but... And then I proceed to rip your guts out emotionally and tell you what you I passively aggressively attack you pastor you know I love you it's not me it's them and then boom that is love with hypocrisy Paul says in 12:9 a genuine love which listen has been poured out within our hearts. Where does that come from? Galatians 5.22, which says, now when you yawn, you're either bored, tired, or rude. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What's the very first thing he talks about? Love. Well, what is that word love? That's that word agape, and we remember that is not the noun, but the verb. It is the, where it's the will of the mind. The will of the mind. The self-sacrificial love of the will, not a sense or emotion. Right? Not a sense of emotion. Give you an example. My big black lab has been invited and now takes advantage of my big lap. And she weighs 70 or 80 pounds, and she loves to lay in my lap, and I love it when she does. And she will sit there, and if you have never heard a Labrador retriever purr, maybe she'll sit in your lap. She will purr. And I absolutely, I absolutely love it. it, it it's, she's just my emotional pet dog. I mean, and she lays there, and, and everybody laughs and thinks it's so funny. But she lays there, and she laid in my lap the other day sitting on the couch. And Truett said, don't you let her paw touch that couch because you know what's going to happen. And she didn't because the, yeah. But the, but the thing is, is, as much as I love that, and as much as, and those that know me know how much I love my dogs. I mean, they, they know how much I love my dogs. Um, 
it cannot even compare to the love I have for my son, my daughter, my wife, my church family, and most of all, Jesus. It, it can't even quantify it. And that's why I believe my dog is a gift from the Lord. Um, that's a way that He communicates to me. And not, let me rephrase that, all you Reformed people out there. Um, uh, it, is, it is a tangible way of seeing God's creation in a way subdued that brings Him honor and brings solace to the hearts of men. And I love, I love the dog. She, she is quickly becoming my pepper. She is Pepper's daughter, and she's becoming my pepper. And that's a tall order to fill, some pretty big paws to fill. But agape love is that sacrificial love, that self-sacrificial love that has no sense or emotion. And Paul's love was wide enough to encompass his friends, those in the church he ministered to. And we can see this in 2 Corinthians and in 1 Corinthians, and even Jesus' enemies in Matthew 5.44. And so here's what I want you to understand. Kindness, kindness, when kindness is at work, it is truly the fruit of the Spirit of love. They go hand in hand. You cannot love and not be kind. And by being kind, you will be loving. Right? And that's how this happens. And I'm not talking about emotion. I'm not talking about what somebody's going to judge you. It, that because the love that's mentioned here is not the love people can see. It's what's in your heart. Someone was telling me standing in line the other day, said, I'm being patient. So no, you're not. <laughs> well, I'm waiting here. Yeah, you are. I'm not complaining. Yes, you are. Remember, as I showed you, love, peace, patience, long-suffering. Long-suffering is being able to wait with joy in your heart. That's when you're patient at Walmart while someone's writing a hot check in a line with 20 people and there's 65 checkout counters and no one's working them. And their check bounce there at the thing where, and you're standing there going, and you're not purring. That's not patience. When you can purr and, and stand in line, wait, you're at patience. I'm not talking about growling, Bill. I'm talking about purring. You know. Okay? So, in conclusion, in conclusion, do we act with kindness towards others? Let me give you the best example of where you can see this. How do you behave in a restaurant? That's, that's kind of a hot issue for me because of what happened to my friend this week. Do you act with kindness towards others so that they are at ease in your presence? So that others feel they can draw close to you? Or do we have, are we sharp words and cold shoulders or arrogant condescension discouraging others from feeling comfortable around us? This is, this is the opposite of what is always said that is true. Hurt people hurt people. When people are hurt, they will hurt other people. Can you be kind to a person like that? You should be. We never know what people are going through till we've walked a mile in their shoes. Now that's not the Bible, that's probably Confucius, but, uh, which would be confusing. But the truth is, until you walk in someone else's shoes, you probably don't know how they're feeling. And so we need to give them the benefit of the doubt because we all know we want the benefit of the doubt. Remember that kindness is a sympathetic kindliness or sweetness of temper which puts others at ease. So do you put people at ease? This Christian kindness is, love, is a lovely thing. It is, it is loveliness, it, and its loveliness comes from the fact that Christian kindness means treating others the way in which God has treated us, sacrificially. If we truly desire to be the sons and daughters of the highest, then we need to and we must imitate the kindness of the love of God. Just look with me in here, Luke chapter 5, 6, Luke 6, 30, 35 and 36. And we'll be finished. Luke chapter 6, Luke 6, 35 and 36. It says, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. He is unkind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. 
So speaking of the kindness of God, what is it? What, what is in store for those who reject His kindness? There is a, you know, there's just this ridiculous idea that God is unfair. That people would go to hell. No, that has to do with justice. I will tell you, the only place you can make God unfair is taking a person who wanted nothing to do with Him on this earth and making Him live in heaven forever. That would be unfair. Now, He would enjoy it. He would be glad. But you see, He didn't enter the way you and I have entered. He didn't enter the way of the cross. Because whom much is given, much is required. Much is required. And so through the cross, the way, there was an old hymn we used to sing called The Way of the Cross Leads Home. But a person who, who doesn't want to go home, it would be unfair for God to take him home. And then those of us who entered through Christ, it would be unfair to us. But most of all, it would be unfair to Jesus. Right? So what is in store for those who reject the kindness of the Lord? Eternal separation. They receive justice. They receive justice for exactly what they have done. No more, no less. It's equitable. It is fair. It is just. And what about those who do not continue His kindness? Well, as the Scripture says, He will teach them. He will teach them. And so have you responded to the kindness of God in accordance to His will? That's the question I would leave you with. Father, we do thank You for the Word of God, its truth. We thank You for the sweet by and by that we have had today as we fellowship together. We thank You for the humor and, and the laughter. Father, we thank You for the gentleness of the moment. We pray, Father, that You would find all of us being more gentle and tender to others. I, I know that uh, I could probably get a few amens uh, from s some folks just regarding me. And Father, I just thank You that the work You've begun, You're going to complete it. As, as one sweet wife said to me once, my only wife said, you know, just could you speed it up a little bit? And uh, so, Lord, we just ask that you bring us to that, that completeness in Christ. We pray, Father, that uh, as we are in these days, we might be, we might be uh, prompted to say we're living in uncertain times. Lord, there's nothing uncertain about our times. Um, until the nation kisses the Son of God, men will rage against one another in vain. And uh, that is the biblical principle. That's Psalm, chapter, that's Psalm 2. I pray, Father, that You would use us during this time as, as we await election results and the, the direction of the United States of America and for that matter the world. That, Lord, in all of these things You would find us demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Let our light so shine before men of what is the cause of our hope because there are people that are hopeless today. They have no hope. They put all of their trust in chariots and in men. And Father, we want them to put their trust in the living God who is and, and, and who shall come and come again. And so have your way with us, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you and thank you for joining us tonight. You have a great week. See you Sunday.